0: Starting an episode of After Office sound like an economic forecaster with some sort of witty Deja Vu reference seems like something we've done before. That being said, if you feel like we're back where we were once upon a time, we can't blame you. But we will also be quick to point out that even if things look somewhat similar, we are definitely in a different kind of place. We're hitting the record button on January 18th, 2022, for those taking notes. The world of economics is moving pretty quick, so check your calendar. Your results may vary. We are now a month out from the publication of our December forecast. It seems like a great time to talk about what we know now and where our thoughts are headed. Before diving into current economic thought, let's see who's here today. My name is James McCafferty, and I serve as the general manager and publisher for the newsletter, but it's a team that makes the newsletter happen from outside partners and our center's own research staff. Dr. Hart Hodges is an economics professor at Western Washington University. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute other articles based on the topics. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western. Bethany King is our research economist and works the switches and dials of many of our models while providing a wide array of insights into the forecast. Bethany writes many of the articles each quarter, as well as monthly updates for our digital subscribers. So the obvious place to start here today would be COVID-19, because once again, it's leaving its mark on our region's economy. But this time, it might actually be just a little bit different because the expected duration is different. It's shorter. Hart, can you start us with a current thoughts around expectations and what the surge may mean for our area businesses? Uh,
1: Uncertainty comes to mind or possible optimism or or so many other things. I mean, it's it's disheartening. You have wonderful economic outlook news, then Delta slows things down. You think you're getting back on your feet, then Omicron. Uh, So we're looking at first quarter now, wondering... What's going to happen with this particular wave? Uh, news out of South Africa. A lot of the headlines say South Africa over Omicron, which, which gives us hope that you know, different states are possibly peaking now, uh, other states in the U.S. peaking very soon. So by the end of the quarter, you know, you're hoping for something quite good. But next time somebody gives me a really optimistic forecast, I will wonder how much to trust it because something sneaky is going to happen. Hart, that sounds promising, right? I mean, obviously there's things we should we should think about. And
0: I think worrying about is there is does does another shoe drop? I think we're out of lefts and rights now. So
1: just another shoe. Well, it, you know, it's it's going to. And so we are skipping all of the various cliches. You're you are heading to a world of managing and, and work working working with. I think we're in the midst of a pretty intense wave, very contagious. Form. Uh, so a lot of things are closing. A lot of schools are going back online. A lot of uncertainty, which hurts economic activity. But you know, you're, you're hoping this wave fades quickly. There's going to be another wave. You hope it is milder and in different dimensions. Uh, so there, there are going to be other shoes. It's a dance, right? So for us, it just keeps you honest and, and humble in the forecasting world. You do your best.
0: So this past week, inflation has been a big news item, right? I mean, I've read highlights. It's the highest since 1982. And we've posted some information on social media. And I know all of our listeners to this podcast have to be following us on social media. If you're not, you're missing that. You're missing a show. Uh, Every day we post uh, six plus things out. And so we recently posted some information that that said that there's actually better comparison points Uh, might be the end of World War II or the gas and energy crunch in the late 1960s. Those economic scenarios may better reflect where where we're at right now with supply chain interruptions and and over demand and that sort of thing, then the recession a lot of people want to come running back to, which is the the 1982 kind of concerns. So, how does inflation look to you and how does that impact forecasting heart? What what does that how do you get oh, your gosh. hands around that?
1: Gosh, I you mean you had too many questions and you're talking about 1982 and, and and other references. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when people were asking about the the long decline in bond yields from from the very early eighties and the decline in inflation rates, uh, the great moderation as we've talked about over the years in economics. And people were wondering, is is the low inflation because of demographics? Is it something? I, and now we're worried about the opposite. So it, you know, I don't know that it makes sense to talk about nineteen eighty two as a reference point, uh, things are, are so, so, so different. I wanna go back just a second because people are, were talking to Je- Jerome Powell's comments about transitory. People saying, oh, he's gotta feel dumb because it sure isn't transitory. Well, when he was talking about that last spring, I felt like maybe that's a pretty good word or at least the idea because if the Federal Reserve takes action to control inflation, by raising interest rates, for example, how long does it take for the higher rates to slow things down and slow lending? And that? right there's a there's a pretty significant lag from the time the Federal Reserve acts and you see uh, measurable changes in the economy. And I think what what he meant by transitory was by the time Fed actions could really influence inflation, the supply chain disruptions may have smoothed out the demand boost with all the money that was pushed into the economy will be starting to fade. And it would be the wrong time for Fed actions to be slowing the economy. Uh, I have a hunch that he's talking a big game now, quietly thinking, yeah, let's do as little as we can. Because remember how much money was pushed into the economy late 2020 and early 21? Just a couple dollars. Yeah, huge, huge amounts of money. It let people avoid work for a little bit. It let stock prices go up, it let housing prices go up, just to let people buy nice cars, that's beginning to fade. Starting to see data about debt or other issues, you know, it hasn't rippled through into say bankruptcies, but you're starting to see a fade there. Uh, James, I'm gonna turn this around and ask you to comment on, on supply chain and get Bethany in, in this on when you think the influence of the stimulus money fades. So when the demand side of this inflation uh, calms, on this, and James, you on the supply chain, you've talked about that in a couple of podcasts. When that improves, we're now also post Christmas holiday, lowering the demand. So both of you jump in and help me here. When, when do you see inflation calming down?
0: Well, I, I tend to look at a lot of the, the forecasts I've seen that show inflation dropping pretty rapidly this year, um, ironically, about the same rate we see uh, the forecast for uh, COVID dropping. We're seeing this this big shift in expectation of, re- of returning to normal, I guess is the word people would use, although I think it's going to look different uh, than what normal used to look like. But I think that we're going to see some pretty big shifts just in this within this calendar year as as inflation drops and employment changes and supply changes and and wages. And there's a lot to unpack. You're you're, you're absolutely right. Bethany, any thoughts on inflation from your side?
2: Yeah, mostly I would say I completely agree with you. Um, Mid 2022, I think we're going to be seeing inflation come down. Um, but what I want to be looking out for is the effects of the Omicron variant. And see what that's going to do to disrupt supply chains yet again. Now we're saying this is probably going to be temporary, but I think that is going to put another setback on inflation and keeping those supply chains disrupted for a little bit longer.
1: Yeah, if you, if, if Omicron closes some ports in China, uh, then my my optimistic view of inflation coming down quickly takes a big hit. Uh, and James, you asked. I think your question was, how does that impact uh, impact forecasting? Bethany, do you do you agree? We we don't try to build in lots of guesses and what might happen in, into the forecasting process. So,
2: yeah, we just let it run. Yeah. And so I, I think
1: by and large, the forecaster is, is assuming these things are going to be fixed fairly soon and inflation is going to come down quickly. We know there's a risk to that, but we'd rather say that's the forecast. Let's talk about the risks.
0: So, Bethany, let's let's dig into employment for a minute. So, employment is where I see a lot of coverage in the news, right? Where we jobs reports, and you know, they keep coming up with the latest being, a, well, about thirteen percent below expectations. It's um, you know below what people thought we'd see in the jobs report. Um, I've seen some interesting analysis around the concept of full employment and the natural rate of unemployment. That might be fun to explore a little bit. You know, in class, in classes we might. Generically, say natural rate of unemployment is about five percent, but in reality, it's an equation. Go figure, right? Economics loves equations. There's actually a whole equation to figure out natural rate of unemployment, and so it's it's a it's slightly above four percent right now, from the things I've read, with the actual rate of unemployment a little bit below than that. What would be mathematically the natural rate of unemployment? And so, when that happens, Bethany, help me out a little bit here. When employment's below the natural rate. What happens in typically and how does stuff like that actually happen? And, and most importantly, of course, is what does that mean from a forecast
1: perspective?
2: Yeah. So first I want to unpack what the natural rate of unemployment is. This is that rate of unemployment that we get from just normal things. It's the background rate of unemployment. It's what's happening when people are transitioning jobs, when people have just graduated and they're looking for a new job. It's what happens when, our, when employers change what they're looking for in employees. And so it's important to have a little bit of inflation. Now, that equation thing that you mentioned, now there is an equation, but it's based around why people are unemployed. And because we can't really pinpoint exactly why everyone is unemployed, the natural rate of unemployment is sort of a guesstimate. And so we can't really say exactly what it's supposed to be. Now, the guesstimate has been in the past like 5%, but now we're thinking more like 4%. So what happens when our... Unemployment rate is below the natural rate of unemployment, is that we're going to get um, basically a power shift towards the employee and away from the employer. And so, what that's going to mean is rising wages, which is a good thing. We've needed that for a while, um, but we're going to see some of the negative effects of that. So, that's going to be low competition for jobs and rapidly rising wages. So, that's some of the drawbacks. But right now, I won't say that the unemployment rate is too low necessarily. I think we're going to wait to see some effects of that, but it's definitely something that we're keeping an eye on. For the forecast perspective, many of our variables are what we say mean reverting. So they're going to come back to some level. And if the labor market has fundamentally changed and now that natural rate is lower, we're going to be reverting to the wrong, to the wrong unemployment rate here. But our forecast is actually showing a little bit lower. Um, than it had before, and that mean reverting value. So it's going down to about 3.6% in the long term for the Pacific Northwest, 4.1% for the US.
0: And you, I mean, you said something there, I want to highlight it because you talked about how when, when that rate gets down below that natural rate of unemployment, it causes wages to come up and that's, that's, that's inflation, right? So we have people concerned about inflation um, and yet we have this inflationary pressure not caused by supply chain, not caused by COVID necessarily, but just because of the way the the labor market is. So I keep reading about wages going up. So I'm just curious, Bethany, when should I expect that in my direct deposit?
2: Uh, Not anytime soon the issue with uh, this idea of wages rising due to inflation is, um, it's, it's a little bit complicated. For example, for contract workers, you don't have that flexibility to um, increase your wages. Those are those sticky prices that we don't like to see when inflation is happening. Now, wages are actually beginning to fall. Um, and those are those real wages, which means that our wages are not keeping up with inflation. Wages are beginning to fall. They're about what they were prior to the pandemic. They had increased at the height of the pandemic, partly because low-wage workers were, uh, were laid off. And so that sort of increased that median wage there. Um, and now it's starting to fall back down. So that is just evidence that wages are not rising. They're not keeping up with inflation.
1: You're saying as we bring back more workers at the lower end of the scale and face-to-face jobs, the overall wage numbers are, are trending down a little bit.
2: Yes. So, okay, yeah, maybe I should rephrase that. So, at the beginning of the pandemic, median wages increased because low-wage workers were laid off. As the economy has recovered, those lower-wage workers are coming back into the workforce and bringing that median down. Now, at this point, that median is at the same rate that it was prior to the pandemic, and it's falling. So, real wages are actually declining now prior to... Compared to prior to the
0: pandemic, you made you used a word here that I want to I want to call out because it's it's a word that the three of us would use and we totally know what we're talking about. And other people are like, well, real versus unreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, real is 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 real. When we use the word real, what we mean is that's inflation adjusted dollars. Um, and so when we express things in real dollars, so we we've tie it to some point in time. So that if you're looking at a chart somewhere, you get something to be aware of is in what dollars are we talking about. But um, And we can find out some really interesting stuff when we talk about re- real dollars and cents because we have things like eggs cost about the same as they did in the 30s. Um, fuel prices at the pump today are a little bit less than they were in the 30s, um, which is crazy when you think about it, but all we're doing is it's in- adjusting for inflation. Um, it doesn't mean that things don't feel more expensive or less expensive, by the way. But so, oh, excellent. Now, all right. So wait. I wanted
2: to, um, you know, Hart, you talked about Sorry, I wanted to say one more thing because I thought the word you were going to ask me about was median, because I think that's really important too, is that wages are not increasing or decreasing equally across the board Um, for mostly upper income workers. Wages are increasing um, and for low wage workers, wages are declining.
0: Again, the vocab lessons, right? I mean, there's a lot of words that really are important and they're easy to to lose track of.
1: Well, and Um, and Bethany, what you were just saying leads into some of the discussions at the Fed as well. The idea that we sometimes want inflation to run a little longer uh, so that there is upward pressure on, on wages uh, because it's, it's usually at the latter stages of recovery or uh, when inflation has lasted a little longer that you see some uh, improvements in the lower ends of the wage scale. Um, it's part of the reason the Fed has said they'll they'll let inflation run a, a little a little stronger or a little longer than in the past or just a or that they have an average uh, inflation target rather than an absolute. so it's uh, it's an interesting uh, little puzzle that the Fed's trying to put together, keep together. I'm not sure which is
0: I'm not sure in that in that in that uh, toolbox. Hart, you, you talked about supply chain a few months ago and you know supply chain, yes, you know, I'd looked into this earlier and the big takeaway in supply chain for me recently has been, it's a story of throughput. Um, the throughput through the ports is actually above pre-pandemic levels. We are, we are bringing in more stuff into the United States. More stuff is hitting the retail world um, and into manufacturing as, as parts and, and things that go into things. The challenge is the timing of it and the fact that the consumers are consuming more of it. And so the throughput has been the story for me in the supply chain. And, and wouldn't
1: it be different, right? I mean, we talked in a podcast, what, a year ago, year and a half ago now, that you used to have a certain amount of toilet paper designed for domestic markets, a certain amount of, or whatever, and some for commercial markets. And that balance has changed. Uh, I Well, pop-
0: that's been a... That's been the story with the grocery stores of late is that, you know, we've all seen the mostly fake pictures online of empty grocery store shelves. They're not empty um, in most places. But the problem is, is that more people are dining in right now. In the last month and a half, more people have decided to askew the restaurants and, and head to their own kitchens, um, which they've spent a small fortune on remodeling over the last year and a half. So it, it made perfect sense that they'd want to use them. And so they are, The stuff doesn't, you know, when you go buy ketchup, you don't want a number 10 tin of ketchup. You want a bottle of ketchup. So stuff has to get bottled into the right sizes and put in the right places. So there's, there's a big challenges around just getting the right things into the right places. The other big story that's been interesting is that uh, the size of the the boats has been a problem. So in November, the big story was all of these big companies, Costco, Home Depot, Walmart, et cetera, had chartered private carriers to move their containers around the world. And that worked really well, by the way. Inventory at the retail level looked really good through the holiday season. We didn't have the big stories of of people running out of stuff. Um, Stuff was shipped by air that normally wouldn't have gone by air. The problem is those boats they chartered were smaller um and so from a logistics standpoint that was great they got them into the ports but they 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 were they didn't hold as much and so it it, that takes them long time to turn those boats around to unload them reload them and send them on their way and so when they used smaller boats coming in in november december it caused the backlog to get bigger um, in the process so we had bigger boats kind of got stuck um in that process so that's continued to get cleared production issues globally remain. We've got problems all over the world uh, from a production standpoint. Uh, we've got labor issues in China. We've got uh, electrical issues in China. Um, we've got all kinds of challenges around the parts and parcels that go into things that are made all over the world. And the reality is you don't want this to cl- to clear quickly. And that's this is going to be the hard part. If they were to magically be able to unload all those boats tomorrow, it would cause rapid, like really hard pressure on prices, et cetera, because suddenly the supply chain would get stuffed and it necessarily wouldn't be the right kind of stuff. So you'd see things being liquidated, you'd see prices drop, which sounds good until we start using words like deflationary pressure. Um, and then maybe it doesn't sound so good. So we, we want things to, to, to calmly clear out of the supply chain over time. And that, that does appear to what's happening anyway. So Hart, that brings me to uh, thinking about retail. Um, So I'm going to pick your brain here. So I've seen inflation impact just about everything. um, And yet consumers are still out there spending. There have been some hints that it's starting to impact consumers. What do you think?
1: I'm going to protest. You keep doing this to me. You keep saying, what about retail? As though it's one thing. Or what about uh, unemployment? As though it's one thing. And that's just not fair. Did you um, want to
0: file a complaint?
1: Yeah. Yes. Bethany and I, and I think Bethany's going to join in me. It's a class action complaint. I mean, your, your question though, about uh, consumers still spending, we've got inflation. Let's go back to the amount of money dumped in. And for some buyers and in some areas of retail, it's almost as though money's no object. You raise the price. it's not going to bother me. I, I still want it. And so you've got headline stories but it's about a segment of the buyers and a segment of the market. Yeah, I'm still going to buy the car. I don't care what you're charging. I don't care if you drop the dealer incentives and so on and so forth. Give me the car because I've got all this cash. This too will slow. I, I think in general, when we look at sort of all taxable retail sales or something like that, we had really pretty decent numbers through November. In the fall, we were starting to see you know, back to your real numbers, inflation-adjusted retail, more like flat, down in in, in some areas. We um, definitely saw a drop in
0: December, right? Because yeah, when, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So and, and we think, and I've read some things that have said that that the that may have actually been a little bit of self fulfilling prophecy because we did so much drum beating about how stores were going to run out of everything, shop early, and people did. Yeah, um, so, so people may was, just it, have been the, done shopping.
1: The holiday season was front loaded. And so the numbers looked, looked fine through November. Uh, we're starting to see some, some forecast for the fourth quarter of 2021 come in a little lower, get revised downward. And in part, you know, it's, it's people finishing their holiday shopping, it's Omicron, it, and, it, and it is the effects of a little bit of inflation. And in some segments of, of the economy, you, you, know, you go to the grocery store and you say, oh my gosh, uh, alcohol, whew, parts of retail, go ahead, raise the price, no one's gonna care. Parts of retail. No, you're seeing that you're seeing the dampening effects of, of inflation. That makes me wonder what the numbers are going to look like for January, February, March. I, I think that the double whammy of higher prices and Omicron, a more nervous, a little bit more pessimistic spender. Right. And usually inflation makes you pause. But now you've got Omicron and some other things on, on top of that. So, I mean, we haven't I guess what I'm saying we have not seen bad numbers for retail yet. Uh, I think we're going to see more muted numbers coming in, uh, and it's going to make the first quarter feel a, a little worrisome. But, but I think at exactly the time we get that data, we're going to be getting some information on infl- inflation slowing, unless Bethany's, Bethany's prophecy of new supply chain disruptions holds true.
0: Which very well could. I mean, the, the yeah. power
1: issues in China, the
0: population issues in China. Start. I mean, there's a there's a lot of things out there that could potentially start your
1: betting pool of what co- what will the factor the cause will be. Exactly.
2: I, I'm betting on you know all those canceled flights from all the pilots calling out that that stopped a lot of the air traffic for uh, the supply chain. I don't know the actual word for that. What do you call that? I don't a know. Mess. Yes. A mess. It's a mess.
0: I'd go with a mess. That sounds yes. technical enough. Bethany, on the uh, the risk of of having this uh, amended to your class action lawsuit, I want to talk to you about housing. We've looked into a number of housing trends and topics for a presentation we recently did. Can you share some of the takeaways and anything you th- you're thinking about for the next update around housing?
2: Definitely. So we're still seeing the demand for housing being incredibly high and supply not keeping up Um, So that hasn't changed, but it may change soon. So we're keeping an eye on the Fed and seeing what happens to interest rates. So mortgage rates are starting to creep up. We're going to keep an eye on those to see if they creep up even more. So mortgage rates have risen, but they're not high by any means. So if that starts to impact demand, that may cause demand to fall. And we'll start to see the housing market loosening up a little bit. Now, by loosening up a little bit, I don't mean 2008. I don't mean a crash. But we're going to see a slow cooling off as that demand pressure relieves and as we start to see uh, the supply uh, meeting that demand. We are seeing the median sale price of many homes falling, but the housing price index is still remaining incredibly high. So what that means, the combination of those two factors, median sale price falling and house price index rising, means that the surge in the housing market has spread to the entire market, not just um, not just high-priced houses, but it's actually spread throughout um, more of those middle and low-income houses.
1: Bethany, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I, I wonder if in a few markets where rents are really, really moving up rapidly, if buyers won't have the, the incentive to continue looking even with slightly higher mortgage rates. And so we, we may see some markets, specific markets where the housing stays quite strong.
2: One thing I will say is we've talked about home prices rising rapidly, like 10% in the past year, but we have rents rising at a much faster rate. And so that's the part that nobody's talking about, which, I mean, if you're a landlord, that's fantastic. Rents are rising rapidly, but for people who want to buy homes, um, now you can't save your down payment for your house. That's where its price is rising rapidly because your rent is rising even faster. Um, So I really wonder about people of my generation trying to buy houses and how they're possibly going to save that down payment if rents are rising twice as fast as home prices.
0: That would be interesting because it uh, will put more pressure on the low down payment type programs will encourage people to be a little more, I don't want to say speculative, but a little more uh, risky.
1: Okay, James, you and I've talked a little bit about housing affordability in, in other settings and the the affordability for first-time buyers is uh, kind of a mess right now. Sure. That, that's going to be hard to hard to imagine changing rapidly.
0: Okay. So we talked about possible rate increases. I know I've, we've seen quotes from the Fed saying that, that, that the rumors are two to three rate increases this year are being likely. So, Hart, talk me through the upsides and downsides of rate increases.
1: Yeah, I read an article this morning saying the market is priced in four increases this year, I mean, uh, the the upside is that it's the, it's the Fed uh, taking inflation seriously, taking steps to offset or combat inflation. Um, and when you hear that the Fed is willing to raise rates three or four times this year, you know, they're sending a strong signal that, that they're taking inflation uh, very seriously and, and, and will do whatever is necessary. Um, they also want to get rates up a little bit, so they have uh, more policy tools in the future, sort of rate normalization, if you will. Um, the flip side is uh, it slows the economy. Uh, some of the people that are are needing more economic growth to to help push their wages up and so on. Uh, you know, it, it's always a, a challenge to find that balance between. Uh, managing inflation and without killing uh, economic growth. I, there's another dimension here where you can say talk is cheap right? because the Fed is trying to manage inflation expectations, not just inflation itself. Uh, so they can, the, the, the more they can convince people that inflation is not going to be a problem uh, without doing anything, the better. When I read the article that you know, the market's priced in four increases Let's see how that article gets revised in March, April, when inflation might be down. And then it'll say, oh, the Fed may only have to raise two or three times this year instead of four. And we'll be in a different conversation. You know, I always
0: love those articles because they happen whenever the market goes up or down, like the the market's pricing in some something one way or the other. And it's I think the average person probably has no idea how that actually somehow (laughs) connects magically. Uh, because this week it goes up, the market goes up uh, on speculation. The rates are going to go up and next week the market goes down because rates are being speculated going to go up. It's it's fascinating to me. So, Bethany, one of the things we hear a lot from uh, subscribers is they really enjoy the monthly updates. um, And these are available to our online or digital subscribers. So every month uh, we create a couple of different monthly updates that get posted as well as updating some of our uh, modeling work. Um, and so those should be going either just went up or going up uh, here today, but, um, what should I be looking forward to reading?
2: Yep. Those went up last week. Um, now we're seeing a real mixed bag here. So, um, we had the monthly leading index was actually falling, whereas our current economic indicators were increasing a little bit. Um, so I think the, the biggest thing we have here is really picking apart each, each part, uh, each variable, Uh, that we're looking at, um, we're seeing a lot of concern about inflation um, and those impacts on things like durable goods sales. Um, But we're also seeing some positive signs in the labor market and the labor market stabilizing itself a little bit more. But we also have to keep in mind that data is lagged and we know what's coming. And we know that the Omicron is having a real impact on the labor market with so many people out sick with the variant or out sick or out caring for others. Um, so we know that something's coming, but uh, it's not quite coming out in the data yet.
0: Well, as usual, Hart and Bethany, this has been a fun discussion here, and I hope our, our listeners have uh, enjoyed this today. Um, we'll be back uh, with these uh, at least once a quarter, but uh, if something exciting happens in the economy, we'll record these sooner than that. So this brings us to a close of this edition of After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. We do encourage you to follow us on social media, to have a front row seat of reading over our shoulders on a daily basis. And that's a good yoga move, too, if you're you're looking to to stretch a little bit. Um, But you can learn lots of other ways to connect with us through that as well. You can always reach us via our website, and that's cebr at www.edu or by email, c-e-b-r at ww.edu With questions, comments, or, you know, if you're just looking for your, um, your latest solution for Wordle, we, we're your source for all that kind of great stuff. Okay, maybe not so much the Wordle. The other option you have for uh, dealing with us is uh, if you'd like us to come entertain you at your uh, next upcoming event. We uh, do a great presentation uh, round every year, talking with organizations of all different sizes. Lately, all of them have been remote, but uh, at some point we'll get back to being in person. Um, but we uh, we can do all kinds of different things for events to talk about uh, things that pertain to your particular organization or industry or just general stuff. I'm happy to, to talk with you through that uh, process as well. Just give us an email, cebr at www.edu. After office hours with the Puget Sound, Economic Forecaster is a production of the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western Washington University. A huge thank you to our ever-patient producer, Jill Poon, with KDMC. To learn more about the topics discussed today, please visit us at economicforecaster.com and subscribe to our quarterly newsletter. Subscribe to After Office Hours, the Future Sound Economic Forecaster on Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Transistor, or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. From all of us at Western Washington University, have a great day and be sure to do your part to keep our region in the best lane.